Hi, it's just me this week for the intro, so what do you need to know? Well, it's episode 35 of the Lessons from Loss podcast, and I'm chatting to Simon Ferrer of Clandon Wood Natural Burial Site about the rituals and choices we have in dealing with our dead and what that has taught him. It's a fascinating episode, and if I were a porcupine, I'd definitely be hanging out in Clandon Wood. Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm Rachel Smith and each episode I chat with a different guest and I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen. Today, I'm curiously excited to be chatting with Simon Ferrer, founder of Clandon Wood, an award-winning natural burial site in Surrey. And Simon has helped countless people have a very personal funeral in the way that they would wish. So welcome along, Simon. Thank you very much, Rachel. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But before we get on to what natural burials are, because, you know, I'm sure that my listeners like me, chances are we haven't been to one and are curious about them. Maybe we can start with why did you, you know, how did you get involved in this? Because I understand that you were a builder before you started Clandon Woods. So what was, you know, what what inspired you or motivated you to, to set up a natural burial site? So, yes, you're right. I was a builder back in 2009. I think that all came to an end. Um, I went to my Aunt Rosie's funeral, which was a natural burial back in November 2005. And it was a bright, sunny, cold November day up in uh, the Worcestershire countryside. And like most of us, we've been to cremations, I've been to burials. Uh, As you get older, these things tend to happen a little bit more often. And I just like most of us, just kind of accept that's the way things are done. Um, You either go to a a burial in a churchyard or a cemetery, um, or you go to a crematorium. And as I say, you don't really question it. But uh, there I was on this beautiful sunny November day, and in front of us was her lovely willow coffin, Uh, just like a big basket, really. It wasn't coffin-shaped. It was oval-rounded, oval at each end. And um, I just looked at it and thought, and around me, and thought, why don't we do it this way? Mm-hmm. It literally was, a, I don't like this, but light bulb moment, but it really did hit me. And it led me to start thinking about, for about four years, looking for land um, for a natural burial ground. And I was fortunate enough to find the 31 acres, at, uh, which is now Clandon Wood, uh, just on the outskirts of Guildford in Surrey. It's about four miles from the centre of Guildford. Uh, and it's at the foot of the Surrey Hills. And if I was going to uh, choose um, a burial site um, and I had anywhere to choose it in South East England, I couldn't choose a better spot. I really couldn't. Um, and so for four years, I was I was looking around for land. I found this land. Um, I um, 
put an offer on the land. It was accepted. Um, and we went into planning for two and a half years with the local authority. Yeah, was that easy? Was was that a relatively straightforward process? Or did um, you come up a lot against a... The, the fact that we wanted to change change of use to a natural burial ground wasn't a problem. The fact that we're in Greenbelt and wanted buildings here, um, that did become a problem. So right. I had to go and prove that um, the the need and the necessity for buildings and support support services um, for the site. Obviously, um, we've got a beautiful glass pavilion, which actually you can see. Yeah, that, that looks beautiful. Yeah, where we have our where we have our um, our service, the funeral services, memorial services, family support events, um, all sorts of stuff. I'll go into um, after a bit, um, and you know the toilet facilities and and obviously an administration and i'm now sitting here in my office uh at clandon wood um in a little shepherd, uh, shepherd's hut nice so, yes it's very 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 nice and that was <clears throat> uh, we went into planning in 2010 and we got planning on christmas eve 2011 oh perfect christmas present yes. Uh, no, it was 2009, actually, we went into planning. Yeah. So 2011, Christmas Eve, I phoned them up and said, you can't leave me hanging over Christmas. Are you going to, are you going to approve? So they said yes. So we started on site on uh, January 2012 with the archaeology in, uh, investigations, which yeah. were part of our planning uh, process. And uh, that was very interesting because I'd never done anything like that before. I'm a big lover of the old programme Time Team. So I was quite intrigued. And we had to excavate 121 trenches, about three metres wide and about 30 metres long, down to the subsoil. Right. Because we're on the uh, we're between the ancient villages of East and West Clandon. In Surrey. Yes, yeah. And this land had never been looked at. And it was there was intrigue in the little square area where we've got our car park and offices. Um, it's about an acre, and uh, locally it was known as Bones Yard. Oh. And various stories came out. Um, one that it was um, a burial site during the black for the Black Death. Um, there was another story that um, it was a, an old knacker's yard back in the day. Yeah. Um, and the third story that came out was it was owned by Jack Bones. So right. we don't we don't really know. <laughs> we never found any anything actually in the car park area. But what we did find was um, evidence of an early Bronze Age settlement. So sure. where that building is, I just showed you, um, there was people living here about four thousand years ago. When you were looking for the site, I suppose you. You know, I mean, obviously you had to consider all the practical requirements of what the site needed to offer, but were you also looking for one that just felt like it was the right site? Did that, the, you know, that there was, was there you know what, of that in your choice? I didn't know it at the time because mm. I'd never done anything like this before. And I was, um, I could say, not a spiritual man, Um I was a when you're dead, you're dead man and uh, didn't think too much of it. It was a, what I thought was going to be a, um, a, 
a better way of caring for our dead and and from a business point of view a successful business but um that feeling has definitely changed mm. complete turnaround both from a personal um point of view spiritually it's changed me as a man and as a human being i feel uh, whether that comes out to other people i think it does but um what what you're referring to about how a place feels yes without a doubt as things started to um, fall into place about not just the planning but actually we started not changing the land but actually altering it for what was what for the purpose yeah so just as one step back going to the to the um the archaeology yes, yes. Uh, we found um, clay pots we found um, loom weights, which were apparently ceremonially placed, they could tell, because it was in a little shallow scrape. But the interesting thing was that actually people were living here. So they mm -hmm. found evidence of the old roundhouses only in shadows, uh, that the posts, you wouldn't, you and I wouldn't actually see it in the ground, but they could tell that the different, um, the different shadows uh, of the soil. Um, and then they'd say, the roundhouse was probably, I don't know, I can't remember, what, six metres or something, uh, diameter. And uh, he said, we should find another post hole in that trench, and they did. And and the rest of the field was, was they found evidence that it had been divided up into enclosures. So they were, it seemed that they were keeping animals as well. So that, that background gave the, immediately gave this place history. Yes. And you think you you own a piece of land, but you're borrowing it for such yeah. a small amount of time. And talking to the local vicar, actually, um, the church over, we can see the, the steeple from the ground. Um, and uh, just chatting to him, because that church is nearly 900 years old. And he said there was probably a religious site on this long before, or a spiritual site long before this church ever. And it, chances are, because it's it's higher than this piece of ground here, that they were using it as a spiritual, yeah. a spiritual area, watching the sun come up and things like that. You know, and, and back in the day, so that was lovely. And people have actually said, uh, coming onto site and, and walking into our our glass pavilion not knowing any of the history of this site, they, a few people have walked in and gone, wow, what's happened here? Tell me the history of what's happened. They said, I can, then they've used this word of several times, I can feel a, 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 a vortex of energy as they walk in. And people that aren't that connected still feel a sense of peace and calm and serenity when they're in the building as well. So, yes, uh, in answer to your question, yes, it does have this connection with something greater, yes, without a doubt. Which then actually just strikes, so obviously sort of having talked about the, you know, the past of it, how, how is that then protected for the future as well? Is there, is there sort of plans in place to... But the the, the whole the whole basis of a the whole basis of a natural burial ground is that it should be sustainable mm. and be dual purpose. So it should have a purpose to exist other than just being a cemetery. 
Now, that purpose and that sustainability then gives it a reason to be looked after long into the future, unlike a traditional, well, sorry, conventional cemetery, where once it's full up, that's all it'll ever be as a cemetery. Yeah, yeah. So Clandon Wood is Clandon Wood Nature Reserve and Natural Burial Ground. And that nature, that nature reserve is the key. So it's sustainable. It's productive in a small way because we take a small crop, a small crop off of it, hay crop every, every year, and um, we'll eventually take a small coppice crop off of it. So the woodland will be looked after by taking the coppice crop of the woodlands. The, wood, the woodsman can then look after the overstory trees and make sure that that's, um, that can continue year on year. Now, notwithstanding how the ground is set up, the what one thing I was keen to do was make sure that there was money to be used in trust um, for the future. So every time somebody purchases a plot, whether they're purchasing a plot at need for now, or whether they're planning ahead um, and putting the, the, their affairs in order, they pay £250 into a trust fund. Now, whether that's a full burial plot or whether that's just an ash, ash interment plot, mm. everybody gets the same benefit. So by the time I've sold all the plots here, that trust fund should be in excess of £7 million. Right. So it's sustainable, it's got a purpose to exist, a reason to be looked after, and there'll be a lot of money there to have it looked after. So there's no reason why Clandon Wood should not be a nature reserve for centuries to come. So oh. that's as much as we really can, can kind of, you know, when I'm under it, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to have any control about what actually happens, but there's no reason for it not to be. So yeah. everything is set up in place that actually this can just carry on being this beautiful site that people yes. can Yes, um, a, a, a lot of people enjoy. ask me, what about, what about, you know, when when you reuse the graves and we won't reuse the graves so the graves unlike a conventional cemetery uh the graves will be used once um, and then it becomes a nature reserve when it's full up mm. and for people to use it as a, a you know a green space like they do now so it's um just let you know it's called clandon wood because i was going to originally cover it with trees but okay the more research i did it became evident that I needed more of a diverse landscape for a nature mm -hmm. reserve. So we laid most of it to wildflower meadow. We pushed the trees that we were going to plant to the to the perimeter and, and some other areas. And then we, we put in two ponds and wetland as well. And with the hedgerows, the existing hedgerows which have improved and the new hedgerows we're putting in, we've got a, a, a great palette of of, of infrastructure for for the plant and wildlife to to flourish and it really yeah. has proved its worth rachel because he when we started on site 2012 there was nothing growing here they it was set aside farmland hadn't been planted for about eight years um, and it was literally no good to man or beast nothing was growing nothing was living here and um, we've now recorded just you know 10 years into this we've recorded nearly a thousand different species of plants wildlife and, and everything else growing and living and feeding and nesting and everything here. So, you know, it's it's like a field of dreams. Build it yeah. and they come. It's fabulous. Even when we first started filling up the first pond, it wasn't even half full. And uh, wildlife were coming and swimming. And, mm -hmm. and within a couple of months, 
uh, we had our very first residents, which were Egyptian geese, not exactly native, although they are native now. And um, they they have babies. So, And do you know what, that actually, hearing that just fills me with joy because I'm very much, you know, interested in rewilding and compost. You know, I, I love my compost in the garden. It's one of my favourite jobs, actually, is emptying the compost bin and, and putting it all out over the garden. And the standing joke with my with my daughter is that I want to be composted when I'm going you know, to just stick me in the compost heap. But obviously I have probably a, you know, a more sustainable net way now that I. Yeah, that's what we do. Burials. Yeah. But, but what, you know, isn't that just amazing that not only, you know, we're giving back in two ways. So by using a natural burial site, there's the money then, or your site, there's the money that goes then towards the trust with, to sustain it, hopefully as a nature reserve in perpetuity but also just the fact that you know we are being buried in there and you know literally composting away mm-hmm. then that's enriching the soil and and allowing then so much more diversity of, of flora and fauna in the site in the environment yeah it's just it's it's a win-win all around isn't it it's it's uh not only is it a sustainable way of caring for our dead. It's a responsible way of caring for our yeah. dead. Um, and not just a, a responsibility of we should give back, but a responsibility of to us, you know. So it's it's a responsible way of caring for the dead, but it's also a responsible way of caring for the living, which is mm. just as important, definitely through through our families here. They've, they've, they've taught me that. Yeah, it, it, giving back, you know, we... We grow and we're nurtured by the fruits of this earth. Um, and um, it is a responsible position, as far as I'm concerned, to actually give our bodies back. You know, it's, it's essentially where they came from. So there is that side of it. From the emotional side, though, I have so many stories from which we might go into with, with families that have, not just at the funeral, but afterwards coming and, and using Clandon Wood as a nature reserve. And it's not just for our families, it's for anybody. Anybody can come in and walk around, walk the dog, as long as it's on a short lead. We have families coming in for a picnic. Um, we have families coming in for family support days. So we have Tea Cake and Company, which is the last Sunday of each month, where it's just a free event. People can come in. And it's for families that, still grieving or just want to chat mm. um often it might just be one person at home not seeing a lot of people and coming in one day one one sunday a month and just chatting with with families that have gone through the same thing uh, yeah. it's yeah. it's more of a it's more of a, i suppose a social event now more than anything i think we've had two romantic connections out of it over the years oh lovely which is lovely uh, but often they the people that meet go for meet for lunch during the week and things like that. You know, it might be they might be moving on with their lives, but there are others that that, that perhaps are newly bereaved or are still grieving after a few years, and they get the support thing by asking the question: Is this right? Should I still be grieving um, after all this time? And yeah, of course, the answer is yes. You need to grieve as long as you need to grieve. It's. Um, somebody described it to me as um, a hole in the pavement. And the first few times you just 
don't know it's there um, and you keep falling in. And then after a time, you, you kind of remember it's there and sometimes you skirt around it, sometimes you don't. But it's always there. Yeah. And you've always yeah. got that thing of, of, um, of, of, yes, you could fall into it any time, but you, you tend to learn to live um, with it, whatever yeah. that means to you. And uh, so yeah, I love those that analogy, that's lovely. Those, yeah, it is. It is lovely. Um, I suppose also adding on, like extending that a little bit further, that over time, that hole in the pavement actually just naturally gets filled with other stuff, but it always it it, it always retain, you know, however filled it gets, there there's there's it's, always it's, a a mark or an indent, a little, or a little indent bumpiness, or something. Yeah, which yeah. You would still come across. Yeah, yeah. Also, somebody described it like um, breaking a leg. So you find it very, very difficult to get around for the first, you know, the first, the initial stages. Um, and then it starts to heal. But you might still have a bit of pain from it. And then the pain might ease away and um, you've got a limp um, and you need to learn how to live with that or, or train the limp out. But on a cold day or a rainy day or something like that, you might still get a bit of a pain in the joint or yeah. something like that. So... You know, the, those analogies to me, of, you know, when families have described that to me, it's, uh, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, those family support events. But we also have a lot of uh, social events as well, especially during the spring and summer. The, you know, once the, once the daffodils and everything come out and, and uh, we're just planting some, some um, native bluebells and, and things like that, uh, come late April, early May, we have a, a dawn chorus walk. Come the summer solstice, I always celebrate the summer solstice. We have a little meditation in the morning and watch the sun come up. And then we have a gong bath. Oh, um, lovely. Yeah. 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 And that's a really nice kind of acknowledgement of the history. Yeah. Of the site as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So with... We have quite a few holistic events out here. I, I try and support local businesses, especially the small ones, you know, small uh, individuals that have got um, little holistic um, uh, businesses that uh, need a venue. Um, I can only do it kind of first thing in the morning or sometimes in the evenings that they can have the pavilion um, and just give me a donation to one of our charities. Mm. Uh, we're part of the Guildford Fringe Festival, so we're one of their venues. And uh, this year, it's our 10-year anniversary. We've got a family celebration weekend, and uh, that'll, that'll start off with a, watching the sunrise. We, it's about three or four days after the solstice this year. Uh, and then we'll have a gong bath, and then we'll invite people for breakfast. And, and then the, the, the in events during the day will be, we'll have a little funny dog show and, you know, the scruffiest dog and the noisiest dog and all that sort of thing. We'll have uh, our man with the horses will come down and there's some horse and carriage rides and we'll have some matchbox hunts for the kids and things like that. And we'll have music playing. And um, in the evening, we've got Sinatra under the stars. A couple of weeks later, we've got um, an opera event, a, a professional opera company come down. We do a, an evening opera based on... Uh, last time it was Love, Loss and Hope, and this year it's um, Hope and New Beginnings. So it's, uh, yes, it's, it's 
we, we're very careful about what the events we do here. Yeah. But people tend to love them. Mm. Um, last, year, last year we had a, a, a guy who had a little jazz quartet he came played on a, um, a Saturday, you know, Sunday afternoon. And he'd buried his wife here a month or so beforehand. He said, I wanted to do it. He said, well, I wasn't quite sure how I'd feel about it. And he absolutely loved it. And he's phoned me up again this year. He said, can I do it again? Oh, how it's lovely. Just, it's awesome. And some of those connections now, Rachel, are so special. Mm. So we're also licensed for marriages, not, not the full oh, wedding yeah. thing or anything, you know, it's the... For the for the the ceremony, the ceremony and the photographs yeah. afterwards, but we've had last year we had two weddings where they had grandparents here, so that's that start of that life's full circle that yeah. that relationship that they had with the land when their grandparents bought the plot and then had the then had the the funeral, and then they have the marriage here. They all went to the grave afterwards and took some photos. And and then hopefully when they have children, they'll come back and do the mm. baby naming here as well. Oh, that's that's actually given me good goosebumps. Isn't it awesome? That's, yeah, that's it's just awesome. beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that, one, well, sorry, just one of the, the massive differences, isn't it, between then the sort of the conventional buried in a church or in a probably for the larger part in a in a cemetery or crematorium and it's and you know you you go and visit the grave maybe initially or the site where the where the ashes have been interned but you know over that then doesn't become a part of your everyday life you sort of almost have to make that special effort to go there and I guess over the years you go less and less and less and less and less but whereas something that you're building, creating, have created, it's a place where people can, they're just coming all the time. And they're with the people that have been buried there. Yeah, and it's not to stand by the grave necessarily. Yeah. Not, I, I would say a little more than half the people actually memorialise the grave with just a small, a small um, uh, slate plaque um, that, that just... I mean, say eight inches square, you know, it just lays flat on the ground. Um, you can just see the face of it. But, you know, after two or three years, the, the greys would just grow over naturally. They can be seeded with the wild flower meadow. So unless you've marked it, you wouldn't actually physically know unless you buy a tree or something. I try and get across the idea that Clandon Woods, the memorial, mm. you can just come and be, be here. Yeah. You know? yeah. And and it's, it's that... That generational thing of, of family. So at a funeral, you know, you could have here, you could have three, perhaps even four generations of a family here at a funeral. And that's the, the youngsters, that's their that's the beginning of their relationship with Clandon Wood. And they can grow up, you know, coming out with mum and dad and just walking the dog or, you know, doing one of our nature events, whatever it is. It was interesting. Last year, we had a, a lady uh, came out. She came out. No, she came out the year before and bought her pre pre purchased her plot uh, because she, she wanted to put things in place. She had cancer, but you know she still had some time. Um, and then she came out with her sister to start with. Uh, and then once she'd done that, her sister came out and she bought a plot. And then her husband came out and he bought a plot. And then she, as time got nearer to when she knew she was, you know, she, she didn't have much longer, she brought the grandchildren out. 
and she said, you know, this is this is Granny's plot, this is Nana's plot, this is where, you, where she's going to be. And uh, they they it was by a tree, so they were taking photos by the tree and everything else. And um, it was about three weeks later she had her funeral. And the children, the grandchildren were out, and it was lovely because they'd been here. They'd been there yeah. with Nan and everything <clears throat> else. And then they retook photos by Nan's grave. It's just, it's it just so perfect. And so, you know, we were talking earlier about whether kids should be at funerals. And yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. they're as part, a much part of the family as any other, whatever mm. age. And also family pets. They should be at a funeral. Yeah. You know, they're part, they're as much part of the family as any, and dogs particularly have this strange no, no it's not strange this this natural affinity with with knowing that their their owner as yeah. their their family member is gone and often will sit by the coffin in the in the pavilion will sit quietly by the grave at, you know at the interment and um at the committal mm -hmm. and it's so lovely to see it it really yeah. is yeah. And then you know they come back with their with their with their new owners or whatever, uh, you know, a later date for a walk and everything. And it, it, you know, I, I still think it means something to them as well. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I firmly believe that animals experience grief. Yeah. In their own way as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and doubt. and talking about animals, you know, with the horse and cart, we have a hand cart. But if somebody wants to um, to pay for the horse and cart for for the for the final journey to graveside, and I try to bring the procession back to to Clandon Wood because it's an important part of the funeral ritual, mm. and even if the, the the grave is close to where we have the service, I might suggest if if if, if it's not pouring out with rain or whatever that they have a, a longer route around, perhaps down across the field, around the pond, and even, you know, just stay and sit around the pond just for a little while. It's an important time to walk and talk. Yeah. You might not have seen family since the last funeral or the last wedding, and a time, great time for reflection. Mm -hmm. And often the, the children um, will ask to go and sit with granddad or grandma or whatever on the horse and cart to, to, to graveside. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? And yeah, I suppose it is. as well, just being, you know, nature has such a, a calming influence. You know, it's very soothing, isn't it, on our um, nervous system that actually it would really help. You must see that, that it it just helps like, take the painful edge on, but it's perhaps less of a traumatic experience, particularly if it's, you know, for children, if it's rather than being in sort of, you know, a dark quite often a cold almost sort of clinical type setting of your average sort of crematorium chapel type thing yeah. you know no it's an unfamiliar you know fairly unwelcoming place whereas out in nature there's no know, confines it's, so you're yeah. right it's there's a, I, I say this is this is a place with no walls, spiritually and physically, because even our glass pavilion has got glass walls. So, mm. you know, when you're here, you still feel, even in the pavilion, you still feel part of the landscape. And kids, you know, as much as us, we recognise that there are actually no constraints here.
with what people can do at a funeral, how they can design it, what ingredients it can have. It can be fun, it can be colourful, it can be quiet and, and considerate, it can be whatever it is the family wants it to be. And there's no, no prescription. So mm. when, a, when, when a family member dies, uh, the first thing we really say to the family is that this is what has to be done. These are the practical parts of it. Yeah. Um, and these are all the other options and choices open to you. And then offer it back to them and just say, look, as a family and friends, how much of that would you like to be part of? You can do it all. You don't need a funeral director. You know, you can um, you can make the coffin. You can whatever it is you want to do, you can do it. And try and try and bring it back to the way we used to care for our dead a few, you know, a hundred or so years ago when someone died at home and the family and friends used to come and say goodbye. As you say, you just mentioned earlier on the curtains were pulled and you know they had that due respect. And and generally there was there was um a wake, a celebration the night or two or three nights, you know, as family and friends came round to say goodbye. Uh, and then the coffin was generally made by the local carpenter who generally had the horse and cart or it might have been the milk cart or whatever it was and that was then the coffin was then put onto the cart and taken up to the local churchyard and it was all about the family yeah and as as, as far as I can make out you know looking back through through recent history it was it was the carpenters and the tradesmen and the builders that used to do the the funerals and that's where I think the word undertaker came from because they undertook to do to organize it all. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and uh, then it sort of got professionalized by these funeral directors mm. who then, and I'm not going to beat up funeral directors because there are some very, very good funeral directors, but generally they don't offer all the options and choices that are available. No, no I, and as you were saying that, the word springing to my mind was you just feel like you're, you, you, get, in, you get in the system and you, you're just taken through the system and kind of almost spurted out the other end and that's yeah. the whole process done. There's, you don't get a lot of, of choice. This is just the way that happens and you, and you have a half hour time slot and that's your lot. <laughs> yeah, it's generally, it's, it's I would say generally it's the larger corporate companies that don't have the flexibility. Mm. There are some fantastic funeral directors now, individuals, a lot of ladies, young ladies starting up as funeral directors, where they will talk to you, you know, it's almost like having a friend where, yeah. you know, what do I do next? And I can't come out. Can you come around and see me and just chat through what needs to be done and the bits I can do, what you can help me with and all that sort of thing. So if someone decides to die at home, then you know, to me, that's that's how I'd like to like yeah. to think. I I would be surrounded by family and friends, uh, and um, everybody knows what my funeral looks like. I've actually had two of my own funerals. Yes, you talked about that because you you yeah. did a TED TEDx talk, didn't you? I did. It was it was in our, our very first open day, so it was. Um, the 21st of June, 2013. Back then, people still weren't aware of natural burial, or woodland burial. They really didn't know what it was, even if they had heard the term. 
So because it was our open day, we had lots of people here. I had an event during the course of the day called Come to My Funeral. I had my own willow basket with my own nameplate on it. Now, that was, for me, that was a something. Yes, yeah. Uh, and I didn't obviously didn't get in it. Well, I, was, I was kind of telling people what was going on, you know, commentating through what was going on during the day. And uh, all my, my, I've got four brothers, so they carried the coffin onto the, onto the horse and cart, and we had a long procession through the meadow. I think I had um, Frank Sinatra singing me off, and then I had a, a violinist in the meadow, and I had an a cappella group, and things like that at Graveside. And um, we got to Graveside, and um, my coffin was put on top of the grave. I opened my grave. And uh, my brothers put the coffin on top of the grave and the others lowered it down. While my, my friend played the last post on his trumpet, not very well, but <laughs> with feeling. But you know what? It doesn't matter, does it? No, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. And then, um, and then my daughter let a dove fly free. <gasps> and then afterwards, she said, well, Dad, that was a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But two ladies came up to me afterwards and they gave me a huge hug and with tears in their eyes, they said to me, thank you, Simon. That was a funeral for our mum we never had. Oh, and something as personally remote as that had had that impact. And that made me realise then that how powerful a funeral ritual is. And yeah. without one, we can carry on grieving for years. And sometimes for the rest of your life. Mm. And a few years after that, I did an event called A Good Goodbye for, for three families that were still grieving. One was a 90-year-old lady who was still grieving for her mum from 45 years before. Oh and her brother had also died some years before. Um, her elder sibling had arranged the funeral, taken it completely, very controlling, taking the whole thing out of hand. And she did not feel um, uh, part of it and she wasn't, she didn't feel she could contribute. And then there was another lady who was, um, she was about 20. Her, her dad had died four, year, four, four years, four weeks before. And she had been born outside of his marriage. And, she was invited, but not to be included. Yeah, yeah. And then there was another lady who just needed to say something to her dad. She mm. needed to write something to her dad. And so she wrote a letter and just put it in a sealed envelope. And we had a, a service in the pavilion. So I had this, this willow coffin where people could place the their memories, their photographs, their words, whatever, mementos, whatever it was. And that 90-year-old lady, she actually wrote and read a eulogy to her mum and her brother, and she read it out. She had four foot nothing. She could hardly see her over the, over the uh, lectern. And she had tears streaming down her face. Mm. And she was very stoical. I know it. She's a very stoical woman. I've never seen her cry. <laughs> And um, you could see it almost being released. Yeah. 
And so they oh, all placed they all placed that for so many years. Yeah. So they, they all placed the, the, their memories in the coffin. They all helped carry the coffin out onto the horse and cart. And again, I opened my grave so we could actually have a committal. Now, I told them I wouldn't be burying the coffin because that gets a bit expensive, but yeah, I would take yeah. I would take the, the contents out and lay them in the grave. So I dug, dug my grave a little bit deeper. Um, and then we, we lowered... They well, they all lowered the coffin into the grave, and then um, after a few kind of final words and you know a little bit of uh, quiet time, uh, they all had a, a ride back on the horse and cart. And that day, uh, there was a few others as well. That day, there were seven seven people's memories laid to rest that day, mm. um, and I've. I know that lady, I've since spoken to her, and uh, she said that day was the day that she laid her mum and her brother to rest. And she hasn't, uh, that was the end of her grieving. Mm. And for some people need, a funeral should not be, as I said in my talk, funeral should not be a formality. It should be fabulous and fulfilling satisfying and gratifying whatever that looks like to the yeah. family involved so that they can come away from there um knowing that that they've had this this ritual to say goodbye and lay the memory of their loved one to rest yeah and then come back at any time and remember it and mm. You know, the lovely thing about today's funerals is that everybody's got a, phone, a, a camera on their, in their pocket. Yeah. And whereas when I first started, uh, people were very, in, there used to be funeral photographers who used to come and be quite, you know, um, very discreet about taking photos because people wanted to record it. Because it's a family event. It's like any other family yeah, event. Yeah, that's it. It's Why like a wedding it or, be- or a... Or a christening yeah, or yeah, christening or anything. Mm. Um, and so now um, families have got their phones out when they're meeting each other in the car park or when the coffin arrives. And generally because it's a because it's a renewal using renewable materials, the, the, the willow ones are very, very popular. And once they're decorated with not even flowers, you know, they could have a, a garland of ivy around it or something like that. It's just you know, you, you feel you have to take a photo. Yeah. You know, and that that um, is, it releases so much tension. Mm-hmm. You know, there, I've got so many stories about. Um, there was one in the pavilion. There was just uh, just, just one that's come to mind. There, there was um, the, the the coffin placed in the middle of the of the uh, of the pavilion, and. They were. They'd had a little gathering beforehand. No, no, it wasn't a service. So people were just saying hi. It was like, you know, gathering for a party or whatever. Um, and they were they were writing little labels out and, and tying them to the coffin. And there was a couple of youngsters tearing about, a couple of young boys tearing about who were the um, who were the nephews. And um, one of them, cheeky little little so and so, he was. You know, he he was trying to prise the lid of the coffin off. <laughs> Is he in there? I want to see. <laughs> so you know, there's there's no there's no um, you know I take that word secrecy. There's no 
Mm. There's nothing hidden about it. It's it's all out there. And, and people, even if they don't want to perhaps go and collect mum from the hospital and, and dress her and get put her in the coffin and stuff like that, because they know they can, it yeah. gives them it gives them that tacit permission to be in control, mm-hmm. uh, emotional control of it all, as well as uh, from a financial perspective, but to feel that they've done all that they needed to do, you know? And so when they come away from the day, most people say, we've had a really lovely day. Thank you. It's been so, we've really enjoyed it. Now, how many people, how many funerals do you go to when you go, yeah. when, when people mention things like that? You know, yes, so you don't say that you enjoyed it. You say, well, you know, as far as the funeral could go, it was the best it could be sort of thing. But yeah. And this photography thing, in the early days before we had the pavilion, I used to, and, and, and somebody wanted to um, spend some time with their loved one, uh, with the, you know, with the coffin lid, with with the coffin lid on or off. Uh, I used to shut the co- the curtains in the in our office and um, put some candles out. And there was one family where um, two sisters were were organising the funeral for their mum. But only one sister wanted to say goodbye to her. And so we took the coffin lid off and she spent some time with her, you know, stroking her hands and, you know, it was just talking to her. And then after, it must have been about 20 minutes, I guess, something like that. She went out to her sister who was outside and said, it's fine. She's very peaceful. Would you like to come in? So her sister came in. And again, it was lovely. And then her sister was so... um, Oh, so I don't know what the word is, so okay with it. She went out to see her kids and a couple of the other family members said, come in, it's lovely, it's fine. And they they spent another half an hour um, with mum and grandma. And what the kids, the, the kids were just stroking and holding her hands. And what was so lovely about it, Rachel, was that it was the first time the kids could hold their nan's hand because she'd been in so much pain. So immediately it it calming for them because they knew now that Nan was no longer in any pain and she was at rest, at peace. Yeah. It was brilliant. And then and then they all took photos. All the kids, everyone and I took photos of the whole family around the open coffin with mum and nan. It Mm. was just beautiful. And there's just so many so much stuff like that is it's giving people the not just the, the information, but actually the time and the space to be able to do what it is they need to do. Which is so, so important. And to be able to, you know, have the family's involvement. I mean, I'm just thinking back to on my late husband's side, his parents have, have both now died. And what we did, and we've sort of said now to um to my sister-in-law we want to we want to carry on doing because it was so beautiful was that we actually did all the flowers so the night before we all got together in whoever's house it was appropriate and you know we all bought flowers of of our my sister-in-law bought you know the bulk of the the flowers but we all had the opportunity to put our own things in and and we made the topping piece for the coffin and it was just 
and I mean, not only, you know, were we actually astounded by how beautiful it looked, it was just that ritual of us all getting together and doing something together as a, I don't know, as a mark of respect. I don't know, there's something out of love that actually, as you say, just sort of put us in in control, that it wasn't just sort of some florist's idea of, of what we might want to to go on the coffee. And it was, yeah, it was it was really beautiful to, to be able to do that. It's giving us a part of yourself, isn't it? Yeah, it just makes it so much more personal. Mm. So his parents had bought us all a red camellia on their ruby wedding anniversary. So, and it happened to be, certainly for his dad, it happened to be in bloom at, um, at the time of his funeral. So, you know, I went and cut several of the flowers off for that and put that in. And that, you know, that was oh, just lovely. really, you know, just really special yeah. to be able to to include that in. So, yeah, it's so important to be able to personalise, you know, completely personalise. Yeah. The and then, then, you know, we're talking about coffins. There was, um, again, in my talk, I describe a um, mum and her two sons. Um, she died in the local hospice. And, and prior to that, um, they discussed, you know, what the, what they both, what they all wanted from the funeral. And it was very simple. They didn't want a, a service. Or they just wanted very, very immediate and close family. Um, and um, they, the boys, when when she died, the boys um, got her ready for burial with the help of the the local hospice. And um, she didn't have a coffin. They wrapped her in her favourite quilt, um, and they wrapped her with ribbon and covered it with wildflowers. And they brought her down in the family car, and they carried her straight to grave. And there was, I think, there were six other people there altogether. And um, there was a, a prayer, a poem, and I think Rose's favourite hymn. And they lowered her body into the grave. Just beautiful, just mm-hmm. exactly what they wanted. Um, and from an emotional point of view, it was it was exactly what they wanted. From a from a ritual point of view, it was exactly what they wanted. And from a, a financial point of view, they'd had to pay for the grave. You know, there was no funeral directors involved or no coffin to purchase or anything like that. So that's very possible. Uh, also, now we are doing a lot of cremation services okay. here in our pavilions because people don't want to, cre- to attend a crematorium. So they have, uh, they might have a funeral here with the funeral service here with the coffin. And, you know, there's no no hurry they've got up to three hours in the pavilion if that's what they want and uh then the coffin will go to the crematorium often without the family they'll still say goodbye to the coffin yeah. they'd rather say goodbye here rather yeah. than watch the curtains go around or disappear yeah. disappearing into the floor or whatever and then they'll collect the ashes at a later date and bring them back for an interment you know mm. just with a small uh, with a small family service or they might have had a direct cremation, which is uh, uh, happening more and more now. So, the the once once the the person has died, the body goes to the crematorium directly, as the term would suggest, uh, and then they collect the ashes, and then they'll have a service. Uh, often it might be at home, but often here, um, and again, then they have a small small graveside service along with that. 
Um, yeah, just so many different uh, options yeah. to see yeah, yeah. what what you what you need. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking, going back to when you were talking about the the good goodbyes. I mean, given what we've been through in the last three years with the with the pandemic, there must be so many people who weren't able to have funeral that they would have wanted for the person that's that's died. So that you know, there must there must be so many people, to, you know, because they've not been able to go through that process of you know that ritual of funeral in in whatever form. We've had You're we've had quite a few memorial that. services since lockdown. Mm. Uh, that our families, we were very very fortunate in in the most part to have be able to have 10, 12, I think it was initially at the funerals, um, and they all had to be outside, obviously. But they had a beauty in themselves because they were so intimate. Families told me that what they said around graveside amongst close family, they could not have said in a pavilion if there'd yeah. been 90 odd people there. So the stories were very personal. The poetry was personal, the songs that were sung, um, the stories that were read out, the eulogies that were, they weren't really eulogies, they were, they were very personal stories. Mm. And you know, I remember things like, there was a, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, five-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son um, read a poem that they'd both written for their mum. And there was a son and he must have been about 13 and his mum, he was a chorister and they sang Panis Angelicus together without no music or anything. Oh God, it was just... And there was two two teenage girls. They they were great singers, and they sang two hymns in harmony. And oh boy, I've cried more in that summer than I did. You know, it was just so beautiful. There was a couple of horrible funerals where the pandemic just wouldn't allow. You know, there, there was one lady that came out. Um, her husband had died of 54 years, I think they'd been together. And um, she came out from London in a taxi that was that was covered in plastic. I don't even remember them all. She had a mask on. I couldn't hold her hand. I couldn't shake her hand. I couldn't hug her when she got out of the car. She sat on the bench in the car park waiting for the coffee and her husband to arrive. The... Funeral directors carried the coffin, lowered it into the ground. She stood at the head of the grave, floods of tears. And again, I couldn't comfort her or anything. And after the funeral, she walked back to the taxi, went back to London to an empty house. And just heartbreaking. There is a lovely ending to that story because I saw her out in the summer with her friend laughing and smiling. Oh, they came back to the... Yeah, her, she her. did, yeah. So she's. it seemed she's in a good place. But, you know, there was another lady that came out in the pouring rain and you couldn't tell whether it was rain or tears mm. down her, pouring down her face when she, again, another funeral for her, for her husband. 
but generally our families were fairly lucky you know fairly yes. fortunate to be able to celebrate in a in a in a lovely way and as you say with that you know that lady that came down from london sort of all on her own you know she's had the the possibility and you know the, the chance to to come back and she come back as many times as she likes and and still go through and you know, tea cake and company you know that's an ideal and, thing for tea yeah. cake and company yeah to come to you know it's um yeah some of the some of the funeral service have been astounding there was we had one in the pavilion you know before lockdown it was a, a norwegian lady her husband um celebrated with he actually there were so many people coming over from Norway as well as over here. Uh, they they put a, a, a marquee up in front of the pavilion. So there was about 200 people with all the chairs all the way around the, the edge of the pavilion and the, and the marquee and the, the coffin was in the middle. And uh, he's from the dramatic arts. So his eulogy was fantastic. You know, he was walking around the room and just, you know, and his son was very, very, very similar. And there was a Norwegian flag on every single chair. And then after the, um, after all the eulogies and everything else, and uh, they had some songs they were singing, and then they, had, they went for the committal um, with the horse and cart and everything. They came back. There was a champagne toast and music and dancing. Fabulous. Why shouldn't a funeral be, you know, that moment of real, moments of reflection and quietness but why shouldn't it also have that that joy in it as well because it is a celebration yeah it's it's, it's obviously easier with the longer lived you're you're celebrating a longer life uh it it can be tragic when it's a, a shorter lived or an accident or or whatever you know a sudden death but it is still clandon wood being in nature and then being able to design what it is they want yeah that's appropriate every yeah absolutely right and it's um you know it does make that difference and for them to come out but there again there's tragedy with with families not agreeing because Mm. um because generally because it's a sudden death um arrangements haven't been put in place may i take this actually time to urge people to talk amongst their family about what it is they want and discuss it because what they want family members actually might not be very comfortable with so it's kind of getting that middle of the road for me personally i've nominated two people that i want to look after my body when i've died and they know it it's not family members although family members are very welcome to do it but some family members don't want to Um, and i've agreed to do the same for them um, my family now know what my funeral looks like. Yeah. Albeit it won't have a willow coffin now. It will be um, a cotton sheet shroud. Uh, and um, they can then add whatever it is they want to that particular day to celebrate my life. So they can make their contribution, I guess. Yes, if you like. indeed. It does make it easier once you've spoken about it. It's made it easier for me because I've actually laid in the bottom of my empty grave watching the clouds go by. So, you know, I know where I'm going to be and I know what what it's going to look like. (laughs) But from a personal point of view, why does it make it easier? You know, I've got no 
especially you know, with with my spiritual development here uh, because of all the the uh, families I've helped with their dead it's made it a lot easier for me when I die that it, there's not going to be you know I'm quite comfortable with the fact that I'm going to die yeah. um, and I'd like my family around me but there's so many people that when the death happens they're in panic mode because they don't know yeah. what to do yeah. they don't even sometimes they don't, Rachel they don't even know whether they want to be buried or cremated no and that choice amongst siblings that's and yeah. even extended families that's even worse you've got guilt you've got arguments going on you know it might it might not just be an emotional thing it might be well I'm not paying for that of course and boy yeah. that happens believe it or not yeah I can imagine yeah if you don't do it, even if it's just that, knowing whether you want to be cremated or, or buried, mm. um, even that helps. But it, having the whole conversation helps right the way through, especially, as I say, with, with extended families. Yeah. You know, I've, had, I've had two sisters from extended families pulling a tree out of dad's grave because they couldn't, that's not what they wanted. They were just so angry that dad had died, obviously. That, that's pretty much where it's coming from, but it, it obviously exacerbated um, family tensions. Um, and I just had to stand between them and, and told them to, you know, actually leave the site because you couldn't have that going on. Mm. And then there was another tragic one where, where and it, it, I'm highlighting the tragic ones because this is what happens if people don't. If so there was a, the, yeah, and, and there was a sudden death, a young man in his 30s, uh, and uh, they had, a, a, I think, a, a one- or two-year-old baby and another one on the way. And um, he got cremated, and um, he was due to have his cremated remains here. And her mother-in-law would not let, him, let her have the ashes. She had to go to court. Yeah, so by the time, by the time they could actually have the burial... Uh, the interment of ashes, yeah. the second child had been born. And can you imagine the the the, the, the upset and stress, well, well, not even stress, the upset and... It's, it's tragic, absolutely tragic. Yeah. And, and the, you know, it's... To get these things sorted out, it's... You know... Yeah, because if it's... If it's being shared and if it's, you know, in black yeah. and white in a, yeah. you know, in a letter or some document detailing it all down, then, you know, it's very difficult to, to argue against that. And a lot of people won't talk about it as if it's not going to happen. I can guarantee <laughs> they say taxes and, and death, but actually some people get away with taxes, but you ain't getting away with this no, one. No, So it's, you, you You've got to really try and acknowledge that actually it is going to happen and 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 talk about it. I was going to say, because obviously this is a podcast about the lessons from loss. I mean, obviously yep. that's that's a big lesson, sort of get your get your wishes known to uh, to the people around you as to what you want to happen to you. But what yeah. would be what would be maybe another lesson that you've learned? Right. So there's there's a few I'm steps. Sure you've got lots. There's a, yeah, <laughs> there's a few steps attached to that, Roger. So you can write your wishes down. Mm. Um, they don't need to be followed. Whoever whoever's arranging the funeral, um, 
And whoever's arranging the funeral doesn't need to be the husband or the wife or the son or the daughter. It could be a friend or whatever. Basically, whoever arranges it, if, especially if there's a funeral director involved, they're the ones committed to paying for it. Right. Okay. Now, um, if you write your wishes down, that's fine. At least that's one step. They don't have to be followed, as I've just said. Somebody say, oh, well, I'm not paying for that. Um, if they are plans are put into place, so families here will come out and pre-purchase a plot. So if the plot's been purchased, then there's no real, actually real reason for a family member to go, well, I don't have to pay for any of that. Yeah. I, that's where we're going to do it. And most often than not, you know, families do follow uh, obviously the family wishes, but there are, there are occasions where it doesn't mm -hmm. happen. So talk about it first step in writing second step and then third step really try and, and put physical things in place and if you can pay for or get the insurance policy or or a um an ISA or something it's just some savings in in place just to pay for the yeah. for the the largest part of it if there is an estate that's being liquidated then funeral expenses can come out of that prior to any agreement on anything else. So um, the executor, the, the bank will release funds for the cost of the funeral. So that's lessons learned. Um, other lessons is you are, don't hurry any of this stuff. If someone dies, all you really need to know is they're, they're being cared for. Even if they've died at home, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to make any phone calls or anything. You know, even if it's a sudden death, you know, and, and the body is cold, you know, going into practicalities here, they are obviously dead. There's yeah. no, no point of ringing 999 because nothing's going to happen. They are the most personal, intimate hours that you can spend mm -hmm. with your loved one. And... I, I, and then, really, it's just a case of getting that body looked up. The body can stay at home. Mm. You know, you shut the windows, and if it's if it's hot in there, then you you get a, a um, an air conditioner, and you know, just or or ice around the body or whatever, and for families to come and say goodbye. Yeah. Um, more often, not a funeral director is is instructed. Um, but it's best to think again, especially if someone's planning to die at home. Obviously, there's it's imminent, so you can start thinking about these things. Uh, I I went to look after a, a, a friend of mine whose mum died at home the other week, and she'd she'd been ill for quite a long time, and they cared for her at home, and they'd take they were there when she when she died and everything. But he then phoned me up and said. Can you recommend a funeral director? This, that, something like that really should be talked about. Because I was on the end of the phone and I could, somebody that would come around and talk to them and, and I could be there and everything else, that was fine. But for people that don't, they they will go through the Google or Yellow Pages, I don't know if there is any Yellow Pages anymore, um, and get onto their local funeral director. Mm. Yeah. And generally, a funeral director, chances are it's going to be someone from a big company and they will put the wheels into motion. 
and they will come round at their earliest convenience without any discussion about what should be done, what they can do, mm. you know, spending. To, so I, when, when, when my friend's mum died, he texted me early in the morning, not expecting me to answer, but I'm an early riser. So half past five, I texted him back and just said, look, you don't need to do anything. Um, I will, I will organise a, a funeral to come round. But spend these next hours yeah. with her, with the family, and and I said, this, this is the most precious time. You've, I know you've looked after her, but you've seen, you've now seen her um, in her last moments and when she was dying, you know, they were there holding her hand. But she's now dead. This is, this is the most precious time mm. for you guys just to be together and talk. And um, the funeral director um, called him at half past eight um, and said, He'll be round at such and such a time. I went round there about half an hour before he got there and chatted to the family. <clears throat> and it was all okay because they'd had that time. You know, I said to her husband, I said, how are you doing? He said, we're okay. God, we're going to miss her, but we're okay. And um, they were so grateful that they had someone to call and run them through it and help them out. But some people don't. And that's one of the biggest lessons is, is get this stuff sorted out because you are in a, you are in such a vulnerable position, position when someone close to you has died. And then you have got to start negotiations mm. about what you want done and how much you're going to pay for it. So, and not only that, you need to choose a funeral director you like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that you, and often the big corporates, the person you see in the shop ain't going to be the person that's going to be at mum's funeral. No. So talk to them and tell them what it is you think you'd like to do. You know, can I help wash and dress mum and get rid? And they're the type of funeral, you go, funeral director go, yeah, of course you can. What else would you like? You can do this, that, and the other. Would you like to do that? They're the people that you you really need to to seek out and agree. A, 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 it's a it's a financial transaction. Agree a price. If you just want them to care for mum until the funeral, get her ready for burial, organise the coffin, and bring her down to say Clandon Wood. Get a price for it. And if they won't do that, if they won't separate a price out from a from a funeral then don't use them. Go somewhere else and will. Mm. You know? So it's, 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 I think from a practical point of view, they're the messages really to get out there. From an emotional point of view is there's nothing that you can't do or say or be or, um, yeah, or arrange for a funeral as long as it's, it's, um, it's okay with the rest of the family. Yeah. And uh, if it's not all right with the rest of the family, do bits of that that are good for you that you need to do Yeah. outside of the funeral or before the funeral. So we've had here, we've had a funeral uh, that's going to happen first thing in the morning where the coffins come overnight and they've had an overnight vigil here because the people at home, they didn't want to do that. 
Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, so you can really have elements in there yeah. almost to sort of to, to suit everybody yeah. in a in a way within. Let me tell you the story. There was there was two two sons. One of them wanted to care for his dad, and the other didn't. So he called me and said, "Would you help me come and collect my dad from the funeral directors who'd collected him from the um, care home?" And I said, "Have you got a coffee?" And he said, "No." I said, "Well, um, I'll arrange one. And I'll bring it down in my car, and then we can put him straight into into the coffin." Um, so we went to. The, I met him at the funeral directors, and um, we wrapped his dad's body in a in a um, in a, a cotton sheet. You know, often people say to me, "You know, what what can we? What do they wear?" And personally, I I'm a fan of actually going out the way we come in, wrapped wrapped in a sheet. Um, there's no point in dressing people particularly; they're not going anywhere, especially putting shoes on them. <laughs> but you know, if if people do do insist on dressing a body, then we just say natural materials, please. Mm. But anyway, this this uh, we 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 brought him down to Clandonwood on the morning of the funeral, and uh, his brother was here as well. But his brother went for a walk walk around the nature reserve, and we went into the pavilion. And his dad had been the uh, the feeling I got from them that he they weren't emotionally close to their dad, physically close particularly. He'd been he'd been served in the forces, I believe, and. He, he was very much, you know, old school, you know. I don't even have had a hug, probably. No. <laughs> so anyway, his dad was was in the coffin, um, and I said, would you like to see him? Say goodbye to him before before the funeral. So we took the coffin lid off, and I'm, I just unwrapped his face and the, the top, top of his body. And I said, would you like to wash him? And I said, you know, just a ritual washing, just just a warm flannel and just, he said, yeah. So we did this and then I said, would you like to put some oil into it? Rub some oil in. And he looked at me and you could feel the, the, the kind of, oh, I've never done this. Yeah. This is so personal. And we both, I said, well, if you, if you, I'll do his face, you do his chest and one of his arms and his hands, and I'll do the other one. And boy, the, it was... I could feel what he was feeling. It was like electricity between us. There was just... You could see him studying, particularly his dad's hands, because he'd never, ever not just looked at them, but touched them like that before. Mm. And um, we spent, I suppose, five or ten minutes doing that, just in silence. We weren't, we weren't talking. And then we'd done it. I said, are you okay? Are you ready to, you know, we can, we can cover him back up? So we put his arms back in and wrapped his body and covered his face. And I said, are you ready to put the coffin in there? He said, yeah. And he said to me afterwards, well, as soon as you put the coffin on lid on, he said, that was the most amazing, life-changing experience that I've ever had. Thank you. 
and it still it still brings a lump to my throat and tears to my eyes and that special feeling yeah. in my tummy because it was just so special. Did you have any idea when you started Plandon Woods that this would be the sort of thing that you would be experiencing, facilitating, enabling for people? Um, as I said before, it's a very practical one. You're dead, you're dead, man. Mm. I've now cared for, especially in the early days, their families. Um, when I was on site most of the time for the first couple of years, a lot of families said, would I look after their mum, dad, auntie, gran? And it's it was just to be asked, Rachel, is such a huge privilege. Yeah. And I found it gave me great joy. It connected me with whatever you want to call the universe, grace, God, however you want to, you know, I don't hear things, I don't feel things, I, I, you know, I don't see things rather, but I feel it, I feel it just um, just below my ribs and it's like that feeling of, yeah, you're connected with something here and you know you're doing something that, yeah. that's just awesome. <laughs> I don't know how to put it, it's just, and that's changed me not just, from from a practical to a spiritual man, but it's actually changed the way I um, see death, the way we obviously care for our dead. Um, and it's all part of the scheme of things. Yes, the nature is there, but actually the... I mean, I believe that, you know, we come back in in some way, shape or form, whether it's physical or not. It might just be, you know, part of the greater consciousness. Um, I think I've been here before. Well, I know I have, um, in the, under a different guise. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, no, in your answer to the question, no, I never knew I could, never knew that I would do it, never knew I could do it. The only person I'd ever seen, the dead person I'd ever seen was my mum. I was there when she died and uh, I was privileged enough to actually close her eyes and be there and just spend those precious moments. I wish I knew then what I know now. Yeah. I had to look after her, albeit she might not have wanted me to look after her. She might have wanted the professionals to do it. But um, I seem to be quite good at it. And I seem to be, have a, um, what's the word? An empathy for it. Yeah, that just shines through. It's, you are doing the reason you were put here. <laughs> yeah, I think that. Probably right. Yeah. If we are put here for a reason, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. If that's something that you that people believe in, then I would say absolutely it would appear. You know, just from this conversation that we've had today and the chat that we had earlier, that 
you know, we're doing right, right work. Yeah, absolutely. Bring not just bringing families together at that time, but actually bringing them together for, for years, years afterwards. Yeah, yeah, for generations. You know, people talk about the importance of leaving a legacy. You know, it's, you know if you're doing any sort of, I don't know, self development work and stuff, it's all about purpose and what legacy you're going to leave and. By chance, perhaps by chance, because, you know, let's face it, you didn't necessarily set out in your, you know, when you first became an adult, but that was, that was what you were going to do. And even when you set up Clandon Wood, you had no idea of the, no. uh, the broader impact that this was going to have no. to be able to, you know, the legacy that you are leaving, but also, as we said before, the legacy that you're enabling, you know, the, the families or the person that's died to, to leave just in the, mm. the the manner in which you know that body is is given back to the earth it's just i just think it's absolutely well i don't really i don't have a word to describe it's it's uplifting it's yeah just it's human off, off the scale but it's human yes yeah it's that it's, <laughs> it's that human. ritual that we that, that humans have done for millennia now and uh, that's why they've done it, because that's what it yeah. means. And we've, over the last few hundred years, we've, we've to me, it. we've lost it because we haven't been allowed to do it. It's been taken from us. And here we are starting to to get back and, and do some of these just so important traditional rituals that, that as you say, had been lost. So just bringing things to a close now, although honestly, I could chat to you for hours more. So we've gone through the sort of practical step in terms of people making it known to their family that, that mm. this is what they might like. But where can people find out more information? So obviously you have a website for your, for Clandon Wood. Google natural burial, woodland burial, green burial, and it, it just, it'll just come up. Google Natural Burial Surrey and we'll come up on top. Yeah, yeah. But there's sites all around the country, isn't there? There I mean, is. I, I there is. There, there are I, different. There are different is. models. We are. I'd like to say we are. I've got to as, as pure a natural burial grounds as we can possibly make it. Uh, there are lots of hybrid natural burial grounds mm-hmm. where there might be a little area inside of a, a, a conventional cemetery. They might be just grass areas that don't have memorials on them you know whatever it is um one thing i would say is is look at the long-term project yes yeah absolutely yeah because some of them are um are fields where they sell the plots plant the tree and then that's it there's nothing else going on afterwards to look after it or too many trees go in or whatever yeah, look at the long-term strategy and hopefully if they've got a trust fund to, to back it up. And I guess as well, it's it's about doing, just doing that research and finding the one that that you're yeah. comfortable with. I mean, if you're if you're in a rural situation, then there's there's um more than a handful of farmers now diversifying um and using their hay meadows as a as a natural burial ground. Oh wow! So, you know that's productive. That's a good model. Yeah. So really, for if this is something that people are interested yeah. in, there's just to explore it further and find the 
the setting or the the model of the location that suits, that, you. that suits you yeah the planet talk about it and put things in place if you can oh thank you so much simon i yeah as i say i could talk to you for hours and, and listen to you i could talk about it for hours and, rachel yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's the that's the passion and the yeah the love that you that you have for the for this you know incredible work that you that you do and it's you know and it certainly helped me sort of reflect not only on what i would want but actually how the burials or the the funerals that i've been involved in in planning actually they they have to a degree sided some of those elements that that you talked about that have been so important yeah. so gives me reassurance thank you so much and next time i'm down surrey way i'm definitely oh, going to please do please pop do. in and have a have a wander around this fabulous place and uh, thank you and hopefully uh, maybe pop in and, and get a chance to chat chat and definitely that would be awesome definitely and if you could point your listeners to our facebook Landon wood yeah. um our website is clandonwood.com and we're on uh, LinkedIn, Clandonwood Natural Burial Ground and Clandonwood Nature Reserve, set two separate pages. Fabulous. I'll uh, put all of those. Stories and stuff coming out on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll put all of those details in the show. Oh, notes. and if anybody would like the idea of a good goodbye, yeah. let me know through you or me or whatever, um, because I'm planning another one this year. Oh, amazing. Lovely. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. I mean, honestly, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. And your enthusiasm is just magical. Thank you. Wow. I hope you've enjoyed and gained as much from that episode as I have. I've not even visited yet, but I feel I've found a place to call home to return my body to. Thank you so much, Simon. And if you too want more information, you can find Clandon Wood Natural Burial Site on a variety of social media and its own website. Thank you to everyone who supports me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and lastly, to you, the listener. To hear or read how listening might bring you solace, joy, hope, comfort, knowledge, makes it so worthwhile. Please keep in touch. I'll be back soon with another lesson from us.